Welcome to episode three of season one, or the 2022 season of the Upper Level Podcast. My name is Hugo Rubin, your host, and I am joined today by Vincent Ding, college friend of mine that Hello. has been through a lot of things with me, and none other than my father, Hi. Daniel Rubin. So welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Great to be here. Yeah. yeah. So... Today, we have a little bit of stuff on the agenda. We are going to be talking about NFTs, a little bit about entrepreneurship, but I just wanted to start off by asking you guys where are you each from and a little bit about yourselves. Anything that you would like to tell the audience that you know or you want them to know about you? Where do you go first? Sure. Um, originally from the Bay Area, grew up in Fremont, uh, went to college. Um, NYU with Hugo. That's where we met. Um, recently moved back from New York, uh, back home to the Bay Area, and uh, you know, just working. That's about it. <laughs> so um, I was born in New York, but spent most of my life, adult life, outside the U.S., working in a large company, 23 years two times in Europe and two times in Asia. Um, and uh, it was a great ride, great experience. And I retired at some point. And I think pretty uh, in tune with the subject today, kind of went on my own journey for a level of entrepreneurism. And so um, I won't get ahead of myself and explain that, but that's what I've been doing the last six or seven years as I come to the Bay Area. Sweet. And um, yeah, let's get some interesting things. And I'd like to ask, ask you guys two interesting questions. But first, from each of you, uh, what would be your funniest memory that you have with me? Just because both of you guys I'm very close to and have definitely had some pretty funny memories. <laughs> it could oh, also wow. be a three-way memory because like, we've also hung out all three of us before. I think the three-person three memory is uh, New York and searching uh, for apartments and yeah. finding uh, compatibility for a roommate for Hugo. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of funny. I thought we had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, yeah, Vincent yeah. helped us out. It was, it was a good deal. Yeah, I think my job at the time was was pretty interesting where I had like all these apartments that I need to lease out. And then I was just trying, trying to find some way to stuff you in one of them, um, and I ended up uh, sticking you with one of my one of my friends that I interned with uh, in college, which was pretty cool. Um, but I forget, I forget. We we went out a couple nights. I, I forget if I yacked or. You <laughs> um, may have. I might have. I think the other one was you know we went out for an evening. I don't know if you recall. Yeah, that's the, that's the one. That oh, that's talking. the one? Yeah, yeah. You know, I just see this, like, vision of this huge guy, Vincent. This is, like, the first time you guys met, too, right? It was the first time we met, so yeah, I'm so. I'm envisioning he's definitely could drink. <laughs> yeah, I meant... <laughs> what a disappointment. In <laughs> <laughs> no, it sucks, because I just don't drink. Um, oh, no, that's okay. It's fine that you don't drink, but... Yeah. Might have been better to have made that representation. <laughs> <laughs> You, that was you fun. Survived. Yeah, I can survive, but that's after a yak. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I think you definitely underestimated me, which was good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely yeah. That's underestimated you. Yeah. I would say, like, I don't have a specific memory that I'd want to share, but there are probably, like, 20 times in our life where something has happened and we would laugh uncontrollably in front of people. <laughs> and the funnier no, part, it's, and, and it's so childish. It's so bad. And we can't it's a stop. Bad moment. We can't stop. Like and people don't says get it. something, and yeah. it's in like a very serious conversation. Yeah. And we'll look at each other, and it's funny to us for some dumb reason that both of us know at the same exact time. <laughs> and that's when we lock eyes. He turns bright red. I start to like cough. That's my like covering mechanism. Yeah. He starts to like wheeze. It's like a. <laughs> I'm like, the only other person that can make me do that is my brother. It's my brother and Hugo. Wow. It's, it's funny. It's a funny sight. And it's, yeah, it takes so you have a, a chance to today, Vincent, to get us there. Yeah. So I hope so. If you, if you work hard and you're funny enough, you might be able to witness it. I, I think my, the funniest <laughs> moments are just like, we were just being really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, but that's usual. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just being, just being fun. That's, yeah. that's all about what college it kids hanging out. A lot of the memories are like, I remember one funny memory of mine is when I was over at his place and I was hanging out because he lived with like a bunch of other guys and we were all friends. And all of us were hanging out, chilling, like whatever, watching TV, eating. And then he was freaking out downstairs because his room, his whole bedroom floor had flooded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the entire floor was soaked in water. The bottom level of all of his like storage units, his like shelves and stuff. And he had like clothes that were all wet. And he was just in there. I see him like swiffering his floor <laughs> to move the water yeah. out through his door. It was that was crazy. I mean, you know, it's a typical New York apartment. It was in, one of the apartments you rented to yourself? No, 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 okay. I didn't. I, I actually never lived in anything that I built. Um, Is there a reason? Uh, there, there's, there's no reason. It's just I, I needed more space than than what we had built. Um, but yeah, classic New York basement apartment gets flooded, you know, when it rains really hard. Um, the uh, The owner didn't install, like, this pump that would pump the water out, so... You know the the drain got clogged up, um, and then the rest next, is history. Yeah, the rest is history. I I remember just using a towel, um, trying to push the water out. This was a trauma. <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah. an uncomfortable experience. Yeah, and then roaches on the ground. Ooh. Yeah, but that's classic New York to everybody watching. I know you can't see me on the camera, so I'm looking at the But yeah. Yeah. yeah like New York, though. That's something that all three of us have in common. Both of us went to college there. You grew up there, though. So I want to know a little bit. I've heard the stories, but I feel like Vincent should hear the stories of what New York was like. New York City, specifically, was like back in back in the day 100 years well there were no cars horses wait wait before we get to that i i heard that the reason why the stoops are a thing is because 
horses would poop all the time and it would smell so bad. So they built these stoops to start the entrance on the second level. I don't know if that's uh, be true. True. Yeah. Real I, I usually don't get into that dirty business. Yeah. You know? That's that's your, your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, the thing that really stuck out for me was just the security safety. Like when I was growing up, I don't know my my parents had this crazy idea that in order to be independent, I had to like go into New York City alone at twelve years old on the train, and I can tell you at. 12, you know, I was, it was, yeah, it was 70s, right? And 70s is when there was the famous blackout. Uh, there was a lot of crime and it wasn't safe at all. And so that's, I think the biggest difference I recognize now, it was always really the energy, the diversity, uh, everything you like about New York, but it just didn't have the safety that it has now. Now it's so much more approachable. Mm-hmm. You see families go to New York on vacation in Manhattan mm-hmm. and Manhattan and enjoy it, which is great, but it definitely was not that way when I was growing up. Maybe it would be helpful to give some context where you grew up in New York, like which neighborhood? Um, I actually yeah. grew up um, mostly, I was born in Manhattan, but I grew up in Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in uh, a town near Manhasset, uh, on the North Shore of Long Island that had had an 18 minute express train uh, that would get into Penn Station. So it really had a lot of access to Manhattan, but you had the benefit of being in a safer, nicer uh, area on Long Island where you could just grow up. So it was it was a pretty ideal setting. Hmm. Nice. Hmm. What's your favorite? area of New York, would you say, having been in so many different areas due to your real estate job? Uh, well, I've lived in, I lived in different neighborhoods. I lived like as high as like Harlem, East Harlem. Um, and then, you know, in Bed-Stuy as well. I would say like, if I were to go back to New York, I would definitely want to be in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a little bit more quieter, um, a little more peaceful and I can actually get some sun. Um, true, true. That is nice. Shorter buildings. I think for young people, like Williamsburg is is a really popping area. Um, but I would love to like own a loft in in Dumbo. Mm. Yeah. Because you lived that apartment was closer to like downtown Brooklyn, right? Which one? The the two floor one. Yeah, that one was closer to uh, downtown Brooklyn. And this was after you went to school, right? Or after you finished school? Yeah, after I finished school. Yeah. Because that commute was would be nice. <laughs> it was a pretty bad commute, actually, yeah. to school. That's what I meant. <laughs> but but everybody else was, you know, they they went to school in Brooklyn. So. Yeah, so it made sense yeah. for them. But yeah, yeah. so interesting. Yeah. All that engineering guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Down by the courthouse, right? Yeah, there. Yeah. Pretty awesome cool campus though. They built they really built it up and it's it's also an awesome program now. And they're like makerspace. They have like a makerspace that's like super cool and has a bunch of hmm. facilities and uh equipment that they can use to do different things. Which is really awesome. Okay. And I don't think any other NYU school has that. Another makerspace. Do they? Uh, not that I know of. I heard yeah. there's like pretty cool tech in there. Yeah. 
I heard like I'm these... pretty sure they have like three D printing stuff there. Yeah, a bunch of other stuff, all of that yeah, new technology. Very very cool stuff. But another thing that brings all three of us together is food. And yeah, I don't know. I've we eat a lot together. We used to eat a lot together. Not so much anymore because of distance. But um, food. I mean, I feel like. There's one segment that is going to be filmed at some point and that we are going to drop <laughs> and he will probably be there uh, feeding us alcohol and such and helping us have a good time. But we want to do a hot pot, an all you can eat hot pot battle. And mm. it, Get ready. Yeah, it'll be, yeah. It's nice. be one for the ages. I may not look like it, but I, I can take this guy on. And yeah. I, and I have in the past. I, I can uh I can Are you gonna allow bathroom breaks? I don't know. That's my secret. That's my secret weapon. But yeah, we'll get to that later and that'll be something that everybody can look forward to. But um what is a place in the Bay Area that each of you guys would recommend that you've had recently, let's say like within the last six months. I guess that counts as recent now in COVID times. Um that just was something that you would recommend to people in the Bay Area that you liked a lot and that or that you want to go back to? Hmm. Um I don't know. There's this there's this like new chain called uh chicken and rice. Mm -hmm. That's it serves high Denise chicken. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Uh I don't think I've had like that level of chicken. Yeah. That level of chicken in a long with time. With the soup too? Yeah, it yeah. comes with the soup. The rice. The um, rice that's made in the soup. Yeah, the okay. rice that's made the in so the soup. So-called chicken rice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the chicken breast is like, it's so tender. It's it's is not it something. Or like, is it steamed or is it roasted? So is there like. I a... don't really know. I think it's boiled. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but sense. it is, it is so tender. I, I mean, but it's not cheap, right? Yeah, it's, makes sense. Makes sense. The imported Singapore goods are not cheap. Yeah. Wow, it's crazy. We used to get that in Singapore for like a dollar. I know, and you have like the That's Michelin great. star ones. And like some, it was yeah. right next to school, and it was like it was the best thing ever. Wow. But yeah, actually, um, instead of actually here, yeah, I'll let I'll let you continue and answer the question i'm sorry <laughs> that's My okay brain's moving too fast <laughs> yeah I think, I think one of the disappointments i had when i moved to the bay area was i expected the japanese food to be really good mm -hmm. and i it's been hard to find as good japanese food as i expected uh, but uh not too far from here isiara i think it is isiara mm, e what is it isiara is um it's pretty good like mm -hmm. I, I find it fairly authentic Mm -hmm. And the variety of dishes. Um, I just crave Japanese food. Wow. We lived in Japan together, so I have a oh, wow. connection to Japanese food. And you don't go to the city that often to dine, right? Not that often. Not that often, yeah. Do you go to Japantown ever? Really? I was actually there on, uh, I guess, on Saturday mm. around that area. Yeah. You but, mom? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> cute, cute. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we like Pacific Heights. We like yeah. just it gives us the feel of 
some of the places that we like all over the world, like Saint Germain des Prix, or yeah. mm. uh, it's the place I think in San Francisco feels the most like a city, mm. like a village, gotcha. like activity, because everything's so spread out and yeah. a bit quiet. That's what. So I've had conversations with a lot of people. What do you think of San Francisco versus New York as a city? Because like, <laughs> just just to give you some context on where to start, though, like for me, I was having this conversation with somebody. But I was talking or I was saying that to me, San Francisco doesn't necessarily actually feel like a city because for me, like a city is like New York is somewhere like New York, Shanghai, like Hong Kong. Like I think of like the densely populated cities in Asia and like the super densely populated city. Like I haven't been to like many big cities, but I've been to like I've been a, a solid amount like throughout like the US and New York just seems to have this energy that reminds me of Asia in the way mm -hmm. that it's so busy and the way that it's so like shoved in and Dense, compact dense, yeah, densely populated yeah. and that's something that I don't get here in San Francisco and I don't feel here in San Francisco or even in LA except for certain areas and those areas are the areas that I would not want to go to and mm -hmm. like yeah, because in San Francisco, I just feel like there's, when I walk through the streets, there are so many more times where I find myself like walking down like an entire, like multi-block, multi-like avenue stretch or like grid where I'm just by myself. Mm -hmm. And like, there's literally nobody around apart from like the occasional car that drives by. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. don't really like that. Like, I don't necessarily like that. I like having just like an abundance of people around, it's like literally just walking outside and at all times having at least like 50 people around you. Like in New York, it's like that even at like three, 4 a.m., like you'll have at least 10 people around you, even though you will find yourself in situations where you're alone sometimes more often than I obviously want to remember because I probably have a bias towards New York. Yeah. But I just feel like it's very different. So what do you guys think? How do you think Vincent to start off? I think San Francisco is pretty dead um, compared to what I saw when I was when I grew up as a kid. Um, like when I came back from New York recently, um, about half a year ago, it was just like it's a completely different place. Like you don't see anybody on the streets. Um, you see more homeless people, right? And I, I think that's also due to COVID, right? Yeah, um, but also because of COVID, right? Like San Francisco is already super, super technology forward. There's already so many people working remotely. And I think this, this whole thing really pushed like remote work to like its fullest. And people now can see like better results from working remote. Um, and I feel like a lot of employees, um, you know, they, they just don't want to go back in. Like for me, I wouldn't want to go back in because I have the comfort of just waking up and going to my other room and starting work. Yeah. Um, and I don't, have, I don't have to dress up. I don't, I don't need to do all, all those things. Uh, um, yeah. So I, I think that San Francisco has really died down a lot, uh, which is kind of why I want to go back to New York. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I always say it reminds me a little bit of Paris and that it's like little parts of the city are kind of villages. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And so when you're going point to point, you're going from one village to another, like it's very quiet. But then you get in that little center and, you know, there's activity. And so you have to find those places you like to hang out and you have to go to them. Mm. One of the things I like to do, I was doing on Saturday is I, I just took my car and I just drove to those different places so that it was more fun. You know, which you would never do in Manhattan. In yeah. New York, you would just walk, yeah. right? Or I take pop the subway. subway. Yeah. And so it's a little bit like that. But you, you have to manufacture it. You have to get there. Like you got to get to Pacific Heights or Japantown or wherever you want to go where there's a little density, activity mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. So yeah. that's another good question is, what do you guys prefer? Do you guys like having cars? Because like I know my dad and I share a mutual love for cars and just like, talk about cars all the time. So do you have that love for cars and do you enjoy commuting and driving yourself or do you really like miss being able to just walk outside your door and get to wherever you need to get without getting into a car? Um, I mean, I, I really like to have a car. I, I don't think I have a love for cars to the point that, you know, I care about what I drive. <laughs> Uh, per se, but um, I think it's very necessary. Like at least in New York, you know, living living in close to Bed Bed Stuy, I would say literally Bed Stuy is where where we were. Like it was necessary to have a car. I wouldn't want to walk ten minutes to get to the train station and then you know sit another thirty when I could drive into the city. And it only took me like twenty minutes. That's interesting because yeah. I feel like a lot of people are actually disagree with you. Yeah, but yeah. then but then you you start like seeing what's happening on the news and like yeah. like do you really want to go on the subway? Um, Definitely not now. No. Yeah, when you have the convenience of a car, I, I feel like. Uh, well, but then at least again, COVID. Like yeah. Also, COVID. Like I would definitely would much rather drive now in New York just because of the fact that like it is densely populated as we were talking about. So you're yeah. You're just and, like. And like when I'm going into the city, I'm not going like during the day, right? Like I, I go to see like my friends at night or like after work. And that's usually when like parking opens up. Whereas like during that's the day, everything's open for commercial parking and you can't really park anywhere. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I can't attest to any of this because I haven't <laughs> driven in New York yet. And I don't really want to. And I don't really plan on it anytime soon but yeah what what does suck though is that like people random people will just hit you all the time like you know you could just park in a spot is Someone, that what you mm. tell yourself <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, not i feel fault. like i feel like um, we roasted real hard today <laughs> yeah I, no, I don't know i love the intensity of driving in new york um mm. and it, it takes a certain type but i don't know that it's good for my blood pressure <laughs> Yeah. it's um it's pretty stressful if you had to do that every day going to work like if you were commuting not like just going at night for dinner yeah it's kind of you know you better be on public transportation or walking and clearing your head looking at your email listening to music um you know the what you have to do to fight your way through to get where you want to go in new york is kind of insane yeah i think the stress I think the stress after you're driving for a long time, you kind of get used to it. But then when you come back to here, you know, like <laughs> I just want to honk at literally every per- <laughs> every person. 
I don't know what it is. It's it's not my personality, but like it's it's something that you just develop there because, uh, you know, road rage is contagious. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. What was that movie? I was thinking. Um, Which movie? It was it was a movie just about road rage. It's this guy that just kind of goes into a meltdown in his car. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's really interesting. <laughs> the whole movie? I should know. <laughs> yeah, it starts that way, and then that's the kernel, and it just keeps going. Uh-huh. It'll come to me. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, we can move on to the more serious topic now as we know a little bit more about both of you and hopefully you guys feel a little more comfortable now sitting here in front of the microphones but um yes yeah, so vincent do you want to tell the people a little about a little bit about what we did in college and what we tried to do and what ultimately did not work out yeah i think i don't know if I don't know if we 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 really tested out this idea to the extent um, that we should have, mm-hmm. uh, but it was really it was really like an idea based off of the fact that um, we could scan people's bodies. They could walk into like the mall and get their body scanned uh, periodically. Like it doesn't have to be every month. It could be like once every while, um, but essentially it would. It would be able to measure your body to to an extent where uh, you don't really have to go to a fitting room ever again, um, and you would know exactly what size uh, of clothing you should buy from you know any particular retailer, um, and they would provide us with the data uh, in terms of like the size of their clothing to the to the to the inch or whatever and then we can uh, use that data and you know base it off of your body scan and and provide you with like the best the best choice i guess Uh, yeah best choices and basically it was originally we wanted to make it so that we actually manufactured clothing as or using these measurements that would be like bespoke fitting regular clothing so like t-shirts and we were thinking modern workwear so like kind of like modern trousers um like jeans all of the stuff that people wear or were wearing to the office which now no longer exists (laughs) so technically i guess it's it's not that bad good timing (laughs) yeah yeah i mean if it if it worked out it would have been really cool because we could have gone on like custom sweatpants or something <laughs> yeah um but i think <laughs> i think also it was it was to try to save this whole idea of you know these these manufacturers just pumping out like loads of clothes and just wasting it because we see so many so many articles on the shelf still like on sale and you know it's it's kind of a waste of a company to just like produce all this clothing that just sits there and does nothing um and also produces so much waste yeah. during its manufacturing process. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So why do you think it didn't work out? Well, one of the reasons it didn't work out, which is the one I like to tell myself, is the fact that like we actually received like 
an email. So we were in the running during like this boot camp that NYU had, and um, it was basically like a was a competition. What was it? It was like a like a workshop kind of that like helped you develop. I think call business. them like an incubator. Yeah, it's an incubator. Right. Yeah. And we like. I'm pretty sure there were cuts because like there was like a first round of groups there was a second round of groups and then Mm -hmm. so we got to like the second round of groups and it was then i remember we had this conversation with the guy that like ran the thing i forget if it was an actual in-person conversation or an email but it was you were a what year were you in at the time I think I was uh, in my last year. Okay. So yeah. you were in your last year and I was a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what happened is that I, w- or I was told that due to my standing as a sophomore and me not being able to pursue this for full time, they wouldn't give us like the full consideration, consideration and full <clears throat> support that like one of the teams of the other or one of the other groups would have gotten as a result of them being able to pursue this full time. And it was really interesting too, because in the incubator, which is something that I found very interesting and just, first of all, I feel like that's wrong. And like incubators should like allow you and like push you to like do stuff while you're in college too. Like if you want to, like that's the whole point. And, but um, everybody that was in the other groups, like all of them had, much older people so like we were in college and there were groups that had there were mostly college or like older college standing um kids but a lot of them were actually like full-grown adults like there were a bunch of full-grown adults and a lot of them it was like a one younger person and then one like more senior person that has like i'm assuming had business experience or whatever and it was just really interesting to me that it was like that was like what it was it wasn't like a it wasn't an nyu like undergrad entrepreneurship incubator it was a nyu like basically an nyu alumni network entrepreneurship incubator which was interesting to me and i didn't think that was cool or nice or like right and i'd like just would have i feel like we could have done also more if we had more like support to start that early because it was pretty early Mm -hmm. like yeah you were just lucky because you or like you were also you worked hard for it but like you were lucky because you were in your final year at that time yeah and like credits wise and everything yeah i really wanted to to make something happen with it but i i think the reason why it didn't go the way we wanted it to is because um, I don't think we tested our idea to the extent that we should have. Mm. Um, meaning, like we didn't go out and you know interview enough people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't ask for feedback and really thought in our own shoes. Uh, whereas, like you know, for a product to be successful like the mass has to contribute Mm -hmm. to um your your input as well and so i i don't think that they at least the people that were running the incubator they saw that as 
you know, a positive yeah. that we didn't have enough mm. of those interviews. Uh, so they didn't end up like pushing us forward. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, one thing really important in just generally in entrepreneurism is, is uh, celebrating failure. Yeah. And so probably the, what you guys learned out of that was so much more valuable than even if it had been funded or successful. Yeah. yeah. It kind of helps you For think sure. about everything you're going to do. By the way, the movie's name was Rush Hour. Rush Hour. <laughs> yeah. <Nice. laughs> Wait, the Rush Hour? Like the Jackie Chan one? Or was it a different one? I think it's called Rush Hour. It was funny. Was it with Jackie Chan, though? No, no, no. It's not that one. Okay. No, it's an oh. older one. Okay. Because uh, we were both like, well, like, huh? <laughs> I don't remember a rage scene. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. If you, do, do you have any, um, you know, any any suggestions for anyone who's who's in that in those shoes right now, trying to kick off their own, you know, startup idea or like trying to be an entrepreneur themselves? Uh, do you have any advice for them? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's kind of like, uh, for me, it's very often the intangible, right? What makes people excited about an idea. And I definitely have had experience both with venture capital and private equity and venture capital are, you know, betting on so many different ideas. And very often a lot of that, um, comes from how well it's, uh, articulated, and the mm. passion that it's that comes through versus so much of the preparation or the market testing or the proof of concept mm. um you'd be surprised and i think the um part of part of i think the challenge that most people have is that i would put like entrepreneurial ideas into like two buckets for me there are ideas that are incremental mm. right so you're kind of a subject matter expert and you work very closely in that space, if you think of your current job, and you're gonna just make a slight improvement and you know it so well, you can document, you can build a plan, you can raise money around it. Mm -hmm. um, those are, tend to be, have higher probability of success. Okay. Right, because it's, a, it's kind of related to what you were saying in terms of getting market back information and validation, mm. uh, voice of customer or whatever. Um, but because you have so much knowledge and then there are disruptive ideas, ideas, which I always like to use the phrase, um, uh, finding those unarticulated demands mm. or requirements. Like most people are trying to validate that somebody wants something, yeah. but actually the things that are the most value is when you figure out that uh, something that they didn't even realize that they wanted. <laughs> and when you think through that process, like an iPhone or whatever, all the obvious examples, you know, um, that's when you're really inventing. And those are much harder ideas. And I think your scanning thing was a little bit more on that side. Mm. Like you were not subject matter experts. You didn't know a lot about the tech. Yeah, right. You were learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was very conceptual. It was a great idea. But that's so much harder because it's so disruptive. So you have to. You, your your chances to succeed and then the type of activities you have to do to prove it out mm. is so different because you're going to have to go to a J. Crew 
and convince them that they shouldn't stock the shelves with all that waste and that making uh, J. Crew t-shirts bespoke is going to be more valuable than making small, medium, large, right? And how do you do that? I mean, that's yeah, hard. But if you got them there, wow, think about the value you'd create. So, that's you know, true. that's the way I look at them. Incremental versus disruptive. Sure. Wow. Yeah, like what I'm doing now is pretty disruptive still. Classic. It is. Very disruptive. Wait, is this something that you've been sharing in your other podcasts or should What? Are you okay sharing your disruptive? Uh... Oh yeah, no, because it's just what I've been doing. Yeah, what I like am using to like build myself up. It's just like, um, and technically, what this podcast is an advertising for. So, um, sponsor is technically me, and is Upper Level Studios, which is a self-tape studio. So we help actors with all of their database and audition needs. So basically nowadays, actors and voiceover actors in general all audition through the internet and they send in either videos or audio recordings of that and, or of their auditions. And obviously you have to, where you're told to tape them at home or that's like where most people take them is like with their iPhone at home. And so what we do is that we use professional cameras, professional lighting, and create auditions that actors can really be proud of and that show who they really are and also so that they don't have to worry about anything other than the acting part and that's probably the biggest point and biggest thing that people miss in the acting community is the fact that auditions before like you were nervous about the audition you weren't nervous about turning in your audition you know, it's like now it's an assignment rather than a live, like a real audition. Like it doesn't feel the same anymore. So we take yeah. that out of it because we deal with all the technical stuff as well. And that's what a lot of people need. So it must be helpful too that they get a little bit of direction that yeah. they have someone looking that, at them as and, well. Yeah. Just mm. also because a lot of people or a lot of actors are starting out now. So they don't, or many, Theater actors are transitioning into TV and film work, so they haven't actually been on camera before, so they don't know a lot of that, which is actually another service that a lot of people in the Bay Area and in California provide, probably New York as well, but it's self-tape coaching, so there are actual coaches for that, mm -hmm. and so what we do, we provide direction, so we help you during your, uh, your the shooting of your audition, and we shoot it, but like... It's, it's basically just everything that the actor gives is what the casting directors and all the people that are trying to cast them get to see. And yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like you have also entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial endeavors in your mind. I remember last time you were here, we had um, a little conversation about uh, different things. And one of them happens to be in the NFT space, which is why I was pre or I said the precursor saying that we were going to talk about NFTs because both my dad and I call them NFIs because we have no fucking idea what they mean. <laughs> So both of us will also be most likely referring to NFTs as NFIs. Mm, okay. 
duration of this podcast. Hopefully I could. Uh, but yeah, please educate us so it turns into a T. <laughs> so, you know, NFTs, you can kind of you can kind of look at them like a piece of artwork. I mean, you've probably heard this already many times, um, but it's really like I, I think the the most common thing that I get from people is that NFTs are just uh, how do you determine the value of it? You know, what, what is what is the significance of this um, as like a means to our future? And I think uh, to start out, like NFTs are really just just like any other sort of artwork, right? Like how do you value the Mona Lisa or how do you value like the Starry Night? Um, it's really based off of who who buys it, right? So there needs to be a market for it. And there is a market for it, which is really interesting. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of push towards marketing nowadays. And uh, there are a couple of pieces that sold for as much as like $60 million that are NFTs. I think it's higher than that now. Probably higher. Yeah. yeah. Like. I think I saw one today. Yeah, I saw was, one today that was like kind of insane. Yeah. It was. I also um, saw the Biebs bought one for like some dumb amount of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. over one million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Okay. some monkey. Yeah, yeah, classic. <laughs> and and you know like it's it's a way for, I would say it's a it's a way for people to promote themselves now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of musical artists like if they want to ex- uh, release some exclusive items, they can just do it through an NFT. Like uh, I think Stevie Aoki he. He did an NFT that sold for like $6 million, um, which is hard to believe, right? Like, I'm like, when I heard that, I was like, who who in the right mind would buy something like that? Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's more than that. There's worse than that. Like, you know, the, the girl from uh, Dr. Phil, the Cash Me Outside girl? Yeah. She sold a bunch for like a solid amount of money as well. Yeah. Um, I think a bunch of other people also have like, I think Shakira's done it. Really random one I know about. I don't know why. <laughs> um, Grimes has done it. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's like- and and so like the interesting thing about it is it's it's it 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 could span across like a bunch of different spectrums, and uh, you know another another part of NFTs is gaming now. Uh, oh really? You can you can buy like clothes, like clothes NFTs, and hopefully in the future for a particular game, uh, they'll implement uh, something where you can wear that NFT in the game, uh, which gives you like extra superpowers or whatnot. So basically, there are NFTs that are skins, like skins like Mm -hmm. in games. Yeah. Because that's, so that's also a lot of, just to educate, my father here a little bit um so a lot of games you mean atari right yeah yeah exactly but anyway so basically yes to put it in atari terms for the old heads out here um i apologize for that terminology um don't be an ageist a skin i'm gonna wait for the train to pass because we love berkeley um skins would be if your atari like slider could be different colors or like different have like a different design on it or something 
And so free-to-play games or most free-to-play games now make money as a result of that. So they are free to download and free to play. The whole game is free. Mm-hmm. But you can win in-game currency by playing the game, but you can also purchase a different type of in-game currency most of the time to buy skins most of the time is the object of choice or things that push you further into the game. And then usually if you, the more you pay, the better chances you have in the game of doing whatever good things. And so those games are called like, free-to-play games but a lot of people call certain ones pay-to-win games because like if you pay enough money you could just be really good at the game and um yeah that's crazy that it's like it sounds like it almost works like that but it's based off of like an actual like market yeah like structure um and you know there are there are nfts that are just selling at like a particular price that don't ever go up or go down like probably these skins in the game like really simple skins or add-ons you know they they won't go up in price but if it's like super exclusive it could potentially sell for much more right Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just one one use case of nfts Um, another use case is like ticketing uh, for to get into like concerts and events the reason why it would it might be like useful for nfts is is just to keep track of like hey these are the concerts that i went to um that i still have like this record of right whereas if you went to like a basketball game or like went to a football game you you go and you kind of forget like your ticket you probably throw it away and and whatnot um so like the blockchain really keeps keeps track of all these like transactions that take place over time for you. Um, And I think there's also like this whole psychology play behind NFTs. It's like, I think for younger kids, um, especially when I was growing up, like I would always be impressed with like things that I didn't have that my friends had. And so now let's say like some kid owns like the Drake album cover (laughs) NFT and you know, all the other kids are jealous of it. But so just explain a little bit further what it means to own the NFT, because we want to know what does that entail and what is the value of holding the ownership of said piece of art if that piece of art is replicable. Sure. Uh, well, you get a token address, right? Like non-fungible means that um, non-fungible token just means that you know this this address cannot be replicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's rep like you can you can replicate the photo, uh, but if it's used for like a game, right? If you don't have that token address, if you don't have it in your wallet, you can't use it. So it does have like basically, it's basically copyright security. What's the difference between holding ownership of an NFT and holding, like having copyright of it? The ownership of the copyright. My, My understanding is that the digital, because of the digital transformation, Mm. copyright, like when I was growing up, copyright was 
on paper, right? So you have a logo or something that you were de a design that you copyrighted and no one could replicate it and use it in a commercial way without paying you some royalties. And if you did, you could sue them. Mm -hmm. um, that was pretty easy to control in that, you know, someone would have to produce collateral materials. They would take a risk mm. to sign up on their building. They'd make a brochure. But now with the digital transformation, everybody can copy everything that's digital so easily yeah. that it's very hard to authenticate and to copyright. And so what the blockchain is doing to help with mm. uh, NFTs yeah. is, is give you a almost a virtual copyright and authentication capability that's managed by blockchain. Yeah. And it could be used in like real estate too. Yeah. You know, now there's there's digital land that you could buy and you know, like I saw a yacht getting sold for 600,000 the other day. Just just think about it. Like wait, digital Wait, what? Sorry. Mm -hmm. Digital land? Yeah, so there's well, a, You don't mean land, but you mean the title to the land? Yeah, what do you So you can the ownership of the land. You can actually buy like little squares of land in, in right video games now you can do a different oh, denomination yeah, yeah. yeah like the point is is like today and you know this because you're in real estate right mm. like if you have to get title authenticated you know, yeah right title insurance somebody has to come in and make sure there's no claims against it that you truly own it before exactly. you can sell it and someone else can buy it. so real estate transactions are really complicated because of that Mm -hmm. I can imagine if you would use this type of authentication, instead of having a title, you would have the uh, NFT. Yeah. Wait, but so, but what he was saying was that was on top of that, you can per also purchase digital, like, like actually. No, the way land. I understood is that now you can break up that land into little squares. You can sell it because now the authentication process uh, before you'd have to have title for a whole piece of land. Oh. And you transfer that whole title. But now if someone would put that land lot uh, digitized and through and broke it down into. Oh, into ownership via NFT. NFTs in small squares. Yeah. Then they could be owned by somebody else. And you have an authentication process to actually sell it to them. Yeah. Blockchain. We, we are really far from that okay. happening okay yeah uh, but i was gonna i was about to ask like is has that been done yet like has, i think people are working on I it, like, it the right way? yeah i yeah. think i i think yeah you hit like all the major points um and also like the transaction speed like you can't oh, yeah. like it takes forever to process title yeah um, so you know if if this can be, be implemented um but then yeah yeah, that's. I think the most I started to read about it, particularly because I knew we were going to do this. Um, I think really exciting as an artist that in the past would have to try and gain some following either through word of mouth or gallery, uh, which show their physical art, would be reluctant to put it in digital form mm -hmm. because it could be Replication. replicated yeah. and copied and diluted in value. And here they can they could create a copyright and a authentication that protects anyone that would buy it. 
uh, from it being used or replicated. And so the artists are going to feel more comfortable uploading all of their art if they protect them. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. It's going to transform the whole art industry. Mm -hmm. Have you made any? Uh, I've made one. I haven't, I haven't actually, cause there's a, there's like a whole process. You have to also mint your artwork, uh, to upload it and then sell it. Um, but what's, what's interesting, uh, going back to your conversation about like artists picking this up is that now anybody has the ability to really like earn off of every single transaction that takes place after you sell it. So they can earn royalties for life. Uh, whereas, you know, if you were to sell a piece of artwork, it's like a one time. Yeah. It's like a one time thing. Unless you sold the, the NFT, right? Right. Yeah. But if you, if you let someone have it, but, or if you kept it, then you can make royalties. But I think if someone was going to buy your art, they mm -hmm. probably want to have the ownership of it. Don't you think? I, I do think so. But there are people who are buying NFTs that have like these royalties on it. That continue. Yeah, that just continue. Okay. Yeah. So the original oh, wow. owner, you know, they might recoup like 10% of all earnings. That's yeah. cool. So it's yeah. like a, oh. is that like a, like a set thing or is it like case? Okay, you you can, a, you could set, you could set it. Uh, so like whoever owns the NFT uh, from the very start, actually you can go on like a website called OpenSea, which is the, uh, yeah. the biggest NFT like purchasing platform and uh when you do upload your artwork they ask you like what kind of royalties you want from it mm. oh, yeah okay yeah and nice. so this also works for audio yeah mm -hmm. yeah so let's say you were or you're a voice actor slash singer or whatever and would this be is this like a new way of creating like samples you yeah, think? you think that like samples now are actually going to be sold with genuine royalties to the people that created them? Well, I think because, everyone, like, every songwriter who publishes a song and uploads it's going to have an NFT. That's yeah, true. right. Yeah, to protect their song and authenticate it by owning the NFT. So, you as somebody that has also been interested in bursting into the music industry, what do you think is like the future of like a record label if this <laughs> if this starts to happen and if and do you th also do you think that we're going to go back to the days where like we started paying for music or do you think that this is also as a result of all of this screaming that is happening and all of these weird gray lines between um like the streaming ownership the, sh the, sh the ownership to streaming and the ownership of the actual yeah media i i think streaming services will 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 stay for a while um i don't see how they would go away uh but i do think that the nfts i mean just just social media in general and nfts it has created this new atmosphere where like any any person can enter into the music industry you know like you can post a video on tiktok and just blow up and the next thing you know you have like a major song that becomes mainstream. Um, but I think NFTs adds on to that, right? So like if people really, if you have like these, a, a fan base, right? They'll, they'll buy your NFTs. And then, 
you know, take it from there. I think, um, like, if you consider today when you use uh, someone's proprietary music in a film, um, you have to pay for that. You got to get permission to do it. Yeah. Um, this is going to facilitate a way where you can do that without having to organize or make phone calls because you'd have to get sure. access to it. And at the same time, it you know, you could imagine eventually that it becomes impossible to do without yeah yeah but that's so that's the but that's the that's what i'm talking about here is that like what both of you guys are saying goes against subscription services which is what is the major player right now and what everybody is using and what is or like but but the subscription services are paying the artists for uh, every time someone listens to a song so basically you're you're kind of eliminating all the middlemen yeah yeah yeah. So you're so, right. Maybe the subscription service uh, leaves because you pay directly. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Blockchain the, every time you listen to a song. But then technically download. there would have to be a service for like the playing of NFT audio. And the, no, you can you can buy like an MP3. You can buy an NFT MP3 file and just play it like that, right? Yeah, but then like deal like having them all in one place once again it's like a i mean it's kind of like itunes back in the day what what i see is i don't what i'm saying is like wouldn't that app or that platform be privatized so technically shouldn't we be doing this right now (laughs) or was you have your disruptive yeah like is this not like something that you were also thinking about or similar to an idea that you had before I, I was thinking about it, um, kind of came up on it. Uh, <laughs> um, Corporate wins. <laughs> I, or Vincent. <laughs> I think it's tough, right? I don't really see subscription services leaving anytime soon. I think we all need them. Otherwise, we kind of go back to the days where like, we were buying like every single song from iTunes. Like a dollar per song. Like twenty nine, dude. Like, why would we <laughs> want to go back to that business That's what I'm model? Saying. Yeah. Um, I mean, you would want to because I, feel I mean, like for an artist, yeah, for like heck, like revenue yeah. wise, like it's better. But yeah, I mean, I'm also not sure. Like, don't quote me on that. Like, I'm I I'm not familiar with the way the revenue stream from streaming services were, but I feel like that's and then with NFTs, would that start to happen? And then, or would there be like a separate category of music where it's like exclusive music? Because I feel like that's already kind of a thing or like there are people have access to exclusive music done by certain people that like may have passed away or like something like that. Or like this was like an unreleased album or something like that also comes up now and it's that just made me of like, po- like what would happen post mortem as like with the ownership of an NFT? Like, what would you do as a, or like after that? Like, would you just like, I don't know. Like, would they upload you virtually to like your little NFT house <laughs> where you like hold all your art? No, I think the way to think about it is that the artist today elects to put their music on a streaming service and they get accepted 
mm-hmm. by that streaming service. Mm-hmm. So they're really in control. And if they have an NFT for a song they wrote, they would have the same control. But to your point, maybe there'll be other ways to organize that. Because I think the way I would see it being disruptive in music or in anything is that now there's going to be a digital uh, print footprint of every song that could be traced and managed True. for uh, copyright and authenticity that wasn't there before. Yeah. It's kind of an honor system. And so just think about how software is made that uses music or incorporating it in film or putting it on a device like an Apple device. Uh, all of that would have to, could reference those uh, NFTs. And and that could be a way to make sure that uh, it's on the up and up. Okay. So it's it's more in the, in the back mm-hmm. of what's going to happen. But still, you know, if the artist wants to use a streaming service, they just say, here are my NFTs, you can use it. Oh, yeah, but that's that was going to be a question of mine. Like, ha- have companies bought NFTs yet? I, I'm not aware. Like, I'm not. Like, have companies no invested in NFTs? Because as, like, an actual form of, like, let's say capital. Like, is there an actual inherent value to the holding of an NFT currently? This is... <laughs> What I'm always going to come back to, yeah, I'm having this conversation yeah. is like you have the ownership of this video, right? Yeah, it can be replicated, right? But so, like, if it's replicated, I mean, like, or the real question for me is, who's the police? How does how does this like, like, if it's so easily replicated? as a form of digital media like how do you police that like how do you who has the authority to like be like oh you use this nft you have to pay now or where does that money come from you know like let's you were saying like the royalties you can you can ask or you can whatever pick however many royalties you want as a result of the selling of your nft where like where do those royalties come from? Like where does that value come from? Just from the fact that somebody wants it more, like or another person wants it, because like I'm thinking like a company buying like is there is there actual security other than from the original file? There isn't right, because that would be impossible. Like that's that's like like technologically impossible to like at at this current time in my in my belief to stop the replication of an nft not necessarily in its full original form like you don't have access to the original file but like if you make a copy of a file it's literally exactly the same which is what i think everyone that doesn't believe in nfts question is is like what's the controlling like what's the yeah who's the police controlling where the money flows as a result of the purchases of the nfts like because there's no internet police like you can't police the internet very easily like yeah i mean i i think a good example of this would be like coffee shop playing a certain song right Mm. how are people making sure that like these artists are making money off of their song getting played when you can easily download that song from anywhere. 
So you're saying that the the occurrences, the day to day occurrences of the replication of this art are irrelevant or like are small enough and irrelevant enough to not deem any sort of like policing and like backlash I'm not or sure. is it that if something or if it's like if it was to be changed or replicated in such a way that garnered enough attention that that would be when there was a there's a monetary issue with it or like a like a structural whatever authoritative I think, issue i think think to vincent's example about a song played in, being played shop. in a coffee shop yeah. if you go to a starbucks mm -hmm. the music that's played is um they buy that music package mm -hmm. yeah and the artists are compensated because mm -hmm. as a large multi you know national starbucks is not going to take the risk to unofficially use music and yeah. not pay the artist for what they should pay. Exactly. Too much exposure. So it doesn't change what's controlled today and what's not, because you can always slip through the cracks. But I think it gives a platform where more control could ha be okay. there. And that happens because that digital signature is now authenticated. And just think about all the applications as it ties to blockchain yeah right you can ensure that anytime there's a transaction i buy coffee that all the music that's being played in there was authenticated and that artists were compensated mm -hmm. like that could be the future of how it's used because mm. it's so mm. uh, native and and new yeah that's what i'm saying is that it's at a stage right now where people are literally just like Protected, but jumping I don't know what, off, but yeah. jumping off a cliff because, like, there's also a huge chance that we don't go that route, and that that there's or something other than blockchain comes around. Do you know what it reminds me of? And this is going to date me a little. Is, <laughs> is when the internet was coming live, and I actually was alive at that time. <laughs> I had an AOL account. Um, is and my brother still has one is the um everybody was obsessed with domain names mm. Mm. and we had no idea like why are you getting so crazy about registering a domain name like to you today that seems so obvious yeah but at the time it's like the internet's not gonna be anything and who cares uh. and so everybody started registering all these domain names and they wanted to protect those domain names and and that space mm -hmm. And then you see what the, that value ended up turning out to be because the market was created. Oh, yeah. And I think it feels to me a little bit like that mm -hmm. um, in that, you know, the platform is being built. It creates, we can see the intrinsic value of being able to authenticate anything that's digitized that could easily be copied. Yeah. Now, okay. what do you do with it? Right. I could protect a domain name in the internet, but nobody uses the internet, so who cares? But mm. one day everyone's gonna use the internet. Yeah. It's gonna be the way we do everything. Then all of a sudden the domain names became so valuable. So are you saying that you believe it to be at the level of the internet and that it's like you see the potential of it? I do because of the problem it's solving, and that is that digital transformation. You know, the the just think about the degree in which 
uh, things can be copied now than they used to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that's why I was telling you about collateral and a sign. Everything had to be a physical asset. You had to print it. You had to take risk. Now you can just copy everything, right? Yeah. In a digital space and two, two clicks, two clicks, and you can make slight modifications. You wouldn't know how much of that is really protected, copyrighted. Mm. And here there'll be a threat. And eventually, I think platforms will say you can't use digital content that isn't authenticated. Mm-hmm. I think that's when that piece that you're trying to find, that leap, mm-hmm. it's like say you use uh, sophisticated uh, videography software where you're you're doing uh, editing, yeah. right? They may say you can't upload any of that content. Right. Use that music. Unless you if it hasn't been authenticated, yeah. oh. which means people get compensated. And oh. so those kinds of things are going to be enabled. huge. They're going to be enabled. That's huge. Yeah. So tech, but what I what this is awesome though because like that's a perspective that I haven't looked at or like from which I haven't looked at NFTs because to me, like I was trying to convince myself like yo like what is the value of of a smoking monkey you know <laughs> like what like what is the value of a smoking monkey like why would I want I mean I kind of want it but like I don't know why I want it and I don't know what it would do for me but thinking about it like that. I still don't believe in the value of like what is currently being released as NFTs right now. Well, I think it's also because we're at like such beginning. Because we're at such beginning stages. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I think it's easier when you think of like the fine art. Yeah. But I think it. So basically, what I. How many did you you have a bunch, right? What of NFTs? Yeah. No, I only have a couple. But you have a couple, right? Yeah. So like, I need a monkey. We gotta get a monkey. We should we should <laughs> split a monkey. It's about a thousand dollars. Because then maybe we just get the banana. <laughs> because then, like yeah, as of an investment, like because further down the line, but, that, like but that's also speculation. What, but that's also what I'm saying is like the blockchain aspect of it. I understand, and this is also what launched, which is also why I understand the appeal of like Bitcoin and like the original like tokens but for me it's like I, I, I hate to keep harping on this but it's a little bit like the domain name like if you get the monkey everybody wants to use mm-hmm. and then like you said there's a lot of demand for it you're going to be the one that has the authentication and it's going to get all the royalties for it so you're you're placing bets okay that on is things great. like that yeah yeah and i think um one of the business opportunities or real value opportunities there is trying to figure out things where in some industry or space, whether it's art or industry, where um, they're pretty behind in understanding this concept and they don't register theirs and you get ahead and register it and then they have to buy it back from you one day. I think that that reminds me of that same period where all these companies had to go buy back this and buy their so, domains. This is so interesting though, because this I, this like made me kind of like word it in a different way is like, NFTs are basically placing bets on what is gonna go viral. I, I think when you're speculating, I think it's protecting 
your yeah, digital content. It is, but like the monetary part. Well, there's a speculation. Like, there are people who are just going after like that's what I'm design. saying. Like, but that's what it seems like from an outside perspective. I think perspective, there's two. Also, there's like, two. There's, there's two, two different sides. To it. Yeah, I think there's one side and one way of thinking, uh, and I've and I've seen it recently where like people are just kind of um, shit talking like NFTs to that extent because they're just like a bunch of celebrities are selling it to each other to promote their own like NFTs. Yeah, I think that probably is going on. But the other side where it's where it's this aspect where like, just think about it one day where any website that you go on, you have to connect your wallet. And if your wallet doesn't contain this token address for this particular photo or NFT that you bought, can't you can't it. use it. Or like if you wanted to but use, let's so say music saying, in your video, like in your YouTube video. I know, but are you seeing that like, so that's, that's awesome. I love that. But what about like offline stuff, like offline creation and things that are made not on the internet. Yeah, you probably if you made it. So and if, you didn't you'd download anything download, yeah. and you made it from scratch, of course you could. <laughs> but if you like, what if you like perfectly replicated it from scratch? You know, like you could, but then what value would that have to you unless you wanted to use it? And, and then you, you tried to use, to use it use digitally, it. and it was close to the. Uh, it was cl if it was close enough to it. You wouldn't get an NFT. So, so all of a sudden, think about the future. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be able to digitize it and use it in mm -hmm. some form of medium without mm -hmm. that authentication because whoever was investigating giving you that authentication would say it's too close to one that already exists. Okay, so it would be like the similarity. So it would basically be like, a, like an automated like... Oh, I like I the way you said it. It's like copyright in the digital world. Yeah, but like digital world, like is already copyrighted. It is, but it's it's not itself managed by blockchain yeah. and digitized. Yeah. But that, yeah. So that's what now I'm saying. Everyone but, has a unique code, but then know? it also has to get it, it has to get to that point. Yeah, someone and, has and to I use think it. it will. You think I it think will. will? It's like it's like when we, I don't know, this is illegal, but like torrenting, right? Yeah. Back in the day, when you were torrenting, you could download any song you want. But like you did that? Uh, no, <laughs> not saying I did, but like you could have, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's. I think it's always going to happen, right? There's always going to be replication happening, but but this is a way to to have it digitally automated, also. Yeah, pretty awesome. Like, why would you want to spend like twenty hours replicating like a piece of artwork? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you waste your time doing that just to use it in your like? whatever you're trying to use it and like dude there's people that are replicating shoes right now in china and That's you know true. still selling it think about blockchain like when it was coming out when did blockchain come out like bitcoin a like long, bitcoin long time ago out. yeah but like more recently in terms of it it's probably like the last 10 years that we that we picked it, it up yeah. yeah like but when it boomed was like when we were in college that's when like everybody started to hear about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I kept telling my dad. In the beginning, all, all I heard about it was I could buy a machine. Yeah, yeah and this it. is like that. Yeah, the difference. So level. that was the that was when they were building the foundation. Yeah, 
of how it all works. Mm -hmm. Then everyone turned it into cryptocurrency and other things and traded it. Yeah, but that's the, true. The beginnings so were like the actual physical just the machine. foundation. Yeah. And I feel like this is the same. You're creating a foundation to authenticate, digitize, and uh, uh, transact. Yeah, it's so crazy but to me. The applications and how mm -hmm. to be used. It's that's the fertile ground for entrepreneurs. <laughs> so basically, everything's going to be more expensive. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe it'll, maybe be, it'll so be cheaper. Hard. I don't know that it'd be more expensive. If I, to, if I have to pay for every single asset I use, like I would die. But what if it was the just pennies? Of assets I use? Could be pennies. Could That's be pennies. true. It, because true. if it gets too expensive, people yeah. won't use it. That's true. Because like currently, because this is back to the subscription thing that I was telling, that we were talking about, is that like I have access to all of this music that is all licensed to me as a result of a subscription that I pay for. Yeah. So I can use all of that stuff as a result of that subscription. And, and so here that's the that. difference is, is when you take it out of that subscription and you use it, there's no traceability. But with NFTs, it'll be traceable because you won't be able to use it without so the authentication that's embedded in it. So that makes sense. Yeah, but like, I think what's cool, and this is something that I mentioned uh, previously, was just like pay per click, pay per song that you yeah. listen to, right? And if you're paying pennies, like literally less than pennies, like point zero zero five cents to listen to one song, that's true. And you're not like a heavy, you know, listener to music. Why would I pay nine ninety nine for a Spotify men membership when I can pay true. like that is, a okay. couple cents a month? Just to listen to the 50 yeah, songs. That's pretty. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and their service is that they signed all those contracts with all those artists, bundled it because there wasn't NFTs. Yeah. And all the middlemen are profiting off of it. Yeah. The artist gets like so, little to nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So likelihood is that 999 goes down. Yeah. I feel like definitely, like it seems like it's just, it's also, once again, it's just two sides of the coin. On one side, you have the, the like ease of listening of streaming and then you have the protection and actual compensation of artists mm -hmm. so it's like and I, but this is awesome though because i feel like this is gonna spur like we're gonna have like another fucking renaissance here like we're gonna it's gonna there's gonna be like this boom of just digital like creation i hope and i feel like do you think that that's happening right now and that a lot of people are trying to move into this space and start creating I, th like, I think i think facebook didn't change their name for no reason hmm. i think it's a it's it's at the beginning stages it's going to happen really fast and we're gonna see it in like a blink of an eye and be like what the heck just happened <laughs> <laughs> it's like when when computers were introduced right like remember when you had a monitor that was like this this humongous like the back part of the monitor yeah the chunky part and now we have like stuff that's like pencil penciled in it's we have like rollable monitors now <laughs> foldable phones but yeah. with touchscreen and stuff and all of that <laughs> stuff that's pretty funny Fold flip phones are back mm -hmm. i have a friend that has the like galaxy fold oh know, that one like, the one that the actual flip one not the one that goes <laughs> this one's also cool yeah, right. but the the like actual flip one He's like, I never really open it because like all this stuff comes out the front. <laughs> like it has all like the info like yeah on the front. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool way to think about it. And really awesome. Yeah, for creatives and people like me. Yeah. That's seriously cool. Like because then also you could sell as an independent person the right to the art to be used. You could sell it at further along. You could sell it to, let's say, like I'm just thinking in my own space, a production house or like a feature film. It could be used in a feature film and you could just. The only thing would be like then afterwards, it would be sold over and over again, but then that's so that's the thing that I was also thinking about is like if you pay each time like for the music thing, let's say if you pay each time you play a song, let's say. Doesn't that make not make any sense? Because it, technically it just, you're not paying because the NFT though is this blockchain's gonna calculate how often it was used. It was okay, like, so it's just it a, was it's like just Vincent's a calculation. argument about having a reference to uh which MBA or sporting event you went to and having a record of it. Okay. It's gonna record what happened because okay. you had to use it. Okay. The compensation model could be any model. Okay. And no one is going to make one that's so complicated that turns people off to paying for music, right? So there'll be a better solution or it'll be cheaper. It'll take out the middleman. Yeah. But like if you went back to your example, if you created some video content and you were bringing it to a studio that was going to use it, maybe one day they won't accept it if it isn't protected and authenticated. No, yeah, I understand that. That's what I was yeah. saying. I just, what were you talking about right before this? Um, sorry, I was just noticing that. Oh, okay. So you can look at that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with that, actually, we ran out of space on the memory card. So we can end that there because we have been going for an hour and 22 minutes. Oh, so wow. that was pretty good. But I do think it would be cool if we did a, um, like a, vincent dan hugo try to find out what nfts are and like really get down to it you know like maybe like we could reach out to some people that have actually or like are uh, experts let's buy one and let's Together. let's but let's like have that like let's also like tape and explore and like document that experience about like literally every step of the process because i think that's somebody something that a lot of people would benefit from and it would be cool to be the people to make an nft about like what nfts are yeah that'd be cool yeah. <laughs> uh just throwing in a plug here i'm actually working on an F nft like collection pro like platform uh with a couple of friends um we've been able to take a bunch of layers and like spit out ten thousand images of like randomized images that you can sell on like platforms like OpenSea. um very cool and so you know, we're just working on it still. Uh, Wait, so it's like an yeah. NFT creator? Yeah, NFT gener generator. generator. Yeah. Wow. Essentially, cool. which wow. is going to be really cool. That sounds. Uh, cool. But we should definitely try making an NFT or like purchasing one. Yeah. Uh, be cool to share that process with with everybody. Yeah. Thanks everybody for tuning in. That was episode three of the 2022 season of the Upper Level Podcast. And that was Vincent Ding and Daniel Rubin.